It's Niall Boylan and this is a very special broadcast of the Niall Boylan podcast which probably will go out on radio and everywhere else as well too. And the reason I decided to do this, nothing really irks me at the weekend. I like I like to turn off my brain just a little bit the weekend because it gets so full during the week. But, you know, as you know, last week we've talked to Grip Media, we've talked to many people, we've talked to um, Michael Schellenberger from the USA in relation to Ireland's hate speech laws, so much so it has grasped international attention, with Elon Musk even tweeting about it as well. Well, I was quite excited when I heard that one young man, and I'm sure he'd be very, very complimented by the fact that I called him a young man, has been campaigning all over the world um, in relation to puberty blockers and transition uh, for transgender people and transgender children. His name is Billboard Chris. Well, that's the name he goes by. And he goes around literally with a billboard. And I'm joined, I'm very happy to say, I'm joined by Billboard Chris. And I'm also joined by Senator Sharon Kyogen, who both joined me on the show uh, this evening for this very special broadcast. Thank you very much for both of you for taking the time to join me this late on a Saturday evening. But there's a good reason for it. And Chris, firstly, welcome to Ireland. It's nice to see you here. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much. I was last here in 1996, so it's been a while. Okay, it's it's slightly different to Canada, but not very much, although Canada lately has been going through its own turmoil, of course. Your president is not very open to suggestions from other people as to what way they should live their lives. Yeah, Justin Trudeau is, I think, maybe the biggest disaster in the Western world, although I'm sure other politicians could give him a run for his money. Okay, well, Chris, and, and, and welcome as well, Sharon, to the show too. And firstly, just want to go to you, Chris. You decided you would do what you usually do, which is campaign with a billboard. And just to explain to people what your billboard has on it, there's no horrible images on it. There's nothing. It's just your view on children transitioning and not being able to consent. So the wording on your billboard is very important. So what is the wording on your billboard? Yeah, the sign on my front usually says children cannot consent to puberty blockers. And on my back, I have my definition of a dad, which is a human male who protects his kids from gender ideology because we have an epidemic of tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of children all across the West who have now been led to believe that they're born in the wrong body and that they can only find true happiness by physically transitioning with chemical castration drugs, the opposite sexes hormones, and even surgeries are being done on children in many different jurisdictions. So this is child abuse, it's madness. The body positive message we should be sending is that our kids are beautiful just as they are. No drugs or scalpels needed. Now, but we have you, this cultish you, ideology. Okay. Yeah. You will be aware, of course, there are people around the world who disagree with your view and have would hold an alternate view and believe that people are born in the wrong body and indeed that children need to be supported if indeed they decide to change their gender. But in relation to the puberty blockers, the NHS themselves has said that they may cause temporary or even a permanent infertility. And they basically what they're saying on the NHS website is the jury is out in relation to puberty blockers. There are many different theories from different scientists, different professors in relation to the damage they can or may do or may not do. Now, you went out on Grafton Street today and you were, I mean, look, you've had a great weekend because I've, I've followed you over the weekend on Twitter. You were at Trinity College yesterday. You've spoken to many, many people who are quite supportive of you. And you've spoken to one or two who disagreed with you, but you said you had good conversations with them. But today you were a little bit taken back because of Ebra Garda Shea our police force, decided to join you. And the reason he joined you was he said he got a complaint that you had been in the Disney store, which you weren't. And, and we're just going to just play a, a clip because he quotes the Criminal Justice Act, Section 7. So let's just have a quick listen to that, that clip. Opinions are still allowed, right? Yeah, but see, yeah. Where, where, you could, where you could fall short there realistically is displaying 
material in a public place that may be offensive to others. Right. Okay, that'd be contrary to Section 7 of the Criminal Justice Act, uh, the Public Order Act 1994. So that's where you could fall short there, sure. okay, of committing that offence. So you're, what you're doing, obviously, yeah, look, that's, that's what you're doing, but others, especially around here, could find that to be offensive, okay, in that Actually, regard. Actually, I've had, I've been out here for, I don't know, five, six hours, including yeah. yesterday. I've had three negative comments and probably 100 positive ones, tons of beautiful conversations. Yeah. 99% of people out here. Okay, so you get the general gist. And I'm just very, very conscious of the fact that the very start of that video, just can we just lay a photograph of the very start of that video there? At the very start of that video, you will notice that there was another protest, which was also going on at the same time, which was a petition in relation to China and the harvesting of organs, which if you wanted to be offended by things, you could be equally offended by that. But the guard didn't go over there. But Sharon, I'm going to come to you because Section 7 of the Criminal Justice Act says it shall be an offence for any person in a public place to distribute or display in any writing, sign or visible representation, which is threatening, abusive, insulting or obscene with intent to provoke a breach of the peace or being reckless as to whether a breach of the peace may be caused on, this, on that occasion. But in the Court of Human Rights, they said that that doesn't apply to something that could be considered to be shocking or disturbing because that's just being offended and that's kind of allowed. And what's your take on what the guard actually said to Chris? I don't believe actually he was correct in what he said today, this afternoon. Um, I've been following um, Chris for the last couple of years and um, I don't think he's ever been stopped before by any police in any state um, with regard to the messaging that he has on his boards. Um, they're certainly not offensive. Um, they are stating facts. Um, but you cannot obviously, I suppose now with the new hate speech legislation that's going to come in, you cannot police how people are going to feel when they see that particular board uh, and that particular uh, message. So this is where our speech, free speech laws are, are going, our hate speech laws are going. Um, so in the future, in the yeah. future, Chris could be prosecuted under the new hate speech le legislation. But what he was doing today was certainly not illegal. He was asked, at one point, Chris, you were actually asked to leave the area. Uh, or it was certainly suggested to you to leave the area. The word arrest was mentioned. I don't know if the, the guard was willing to arrest you, although I think you would have got quite a lot of international attention if you had been arrested because you were quite willing to be arrested. But he did ask you to leave the area. Yeah, he did. And just suggesting in the, in the start that I'm in breach of section, section 7 of this criminal code, which he was misinterpreting, just suggesting I'm in breach indicates that if I don't follow his instructions to leave the area, that I'll be arrested. So he's insinuating it. And from the very get-go, I could tell he didn't come into this conversation with me in good faith. He came into it with prejudice. And I also look at this interaction in context of this new hate speech law that's going to come down. Because you're telling me that I'm causing other people to be offensive. And I said to him at one point, whose problem is it if they're offended? Is that their problem or is that my problem? And in truth, it's their problem. They're choosing to take offense. They could just look at my sign and see me walking down the street and think nothing of it. But we have to stop giving all of these crybabies the upper hand here. Because as I said to him, I could have a sign that said, I love Ireland. And someone might take offense to that. 
Would that who, be an arrestable offence? Who doesn't love Ireland for whatever reason? And, and equally, I said though, there was a a protest happening not you know twenty feet away from where you were in relation to China, the harvesting of organs. And if you really wanted to be a person who took offence, you may take more offence than that, depending, of course, on what you felt about organ donation and organ harvesting. So that that was equally offensive to some people who might take offence. If that's what people do, they take offence at everything nowadays. But it is quite concerning, and I'm sure, Chris, you have been following the Irish laws, as I mentioned earlier on, Elon Musk and Donald Trump Jr. also retweeted uh, the suggestion that Ireland was an embarrassment on an international stage when it came to these hate speech laws. Because people like you, or anybody who wanted to, you know, display an opinion, or indeed a fact, as it is in this case, and verified by the NHS, that we don't really know the damage that puberty blockers does. And Sharon, you've been following the case in Tavistock in the UK, and many yeah. Irish children here who are sent to Tavistock in the UK in relation to puberty blockers. And I know we will be speaking to Ollie London during the week, I hope. And Ollie is a man who transitioned initially, but then detransitioned. And he is also campaigning against puberty blockers because he believes, obviously, they, they can do damage too. I mean, this has been a big problem, hasn't it? Because, you know, I understand children have to be supported in whatever they feel. And, and I don't want to be unfair to people who are in that situation or feel they're in the wrong body. But in saying that, you know, to take a 12-year-old and, and put them on what could be a life-changing drug is something we have to take very seriously. Absolutely. For, for me, it is all about child protection. It is all about uh, child welfare. Um, certainly, we have to be compassionate. Um, there are children out there who are struggling with uh, gender identity. And um, I, it's really, really important that we do get the supports that they need in this country. Um, unfortunately, they're not there at this moment in time. They've had to cross the water to go to the Tavistock Clinic in, in London to get that support. Um, so it's really important that we uh, try and recruit endocrinologists here in this country. Um, and that's the problem. We cannot get the endocrinologists in this country to deal with the, I suppose it's, it's, it's becoming so contagious, it, really. I, I, was, I was going to say, has it become a social contagion? Because there was a study done yeah. recently that suggested that this has become a social contagion. And, and I don't want to minimise the damage this can do to the mind or the mental health of a young child or certainly Absolutely. a teenager, whatever it happens to be, who genuinely maybe feels that way because maybe they're encouraged by other people or maybe they genuinely feel like that. But there almost is a, a level of, and I, I remember seeing some research in relation to one school in England that had, I think, 20 students in one class who were all identifying as different genders which can be quite complicated for a school teacher in that situation. But in saying that, what it pointed out was a school that was up the road didn't have any. Uh, but this particular school had 20 or 30, which almost suggested that there was some sort of social contagion amongst the students, almost like many years ago when you wanted to wear glasses to get a little bit of attention or break your leg to get a bit of an attention as a child. Because children, of course, have very vulnerable minds. Absolutely. And that's why we should always proceed with, with caution when it comes to children. And certainly when you... You know, making sure that they get the right clinical support, the, the proper counselling um, and proper, I suppose, gatekeeping measures. I, I, I call it gatekeeping measures because, they'll, you know, when they start going down the road of puberty blockers, which is something that I am totally against before the age of 18. Um, mm. After the age of 18, whatever that young person wishes to do, I have absolutely no problem. I have some fantastic trans friends over the years that I've made and... They are living their best lives as a woman. They've transitioned from a man into a woman and they are living their lives as a woman. And that is their life. I, I love them for the person that they are. Um, and, you know, I think when it comes to children, when it comes to children, 
we need to be cautious. Proceed with caution on this one. In relation to Canada, Chris, uh, your home country, what are the laws currently around uh, transitioning of children and puberty blockers in Canada? So the laws currently in Canada, our parents have no right to stop the transition of their own child. They actually passed a conversion therapy law, Bill C-4, which makes it a crime for any parent or counsellor, for that matter, to help a child feel comfortable with their sex. It's totally fine to convince them that they're the opposite sex and turn them into a lifelong pharmaceutical patient. But if you want to help them feel comfortable as they are, in truth, that's now considered conversion therapy. And I just want to push back on one thing a little bit. We do know that puber puberty blockers are immensely harmful. First of all, they stop puberty. That's harmful. These boys' penises won't grow. These girls' breasts won't grow. Girls' hips don't expand. It's causing bone demineralization. There's well, a host they, of other problems to, that are being clarify, caused. Yeah, well, let's clarify that. They do mention that, by the way, in uh, on the NHS website, um, that it can mm. cause degeneration of bone structure. And these are things. But again, we're at a very early stage. I mean, and, and to point out to people who are not familiar with these drugs, these are the same drugs of these puberty blockers that are given to sex offenders in jail uh, for chemical castration. And those sex offenders that we believe may be repeat offenders. So they're quite serious drugs. I mean, it's not something to be taken very lightly. And, and Sharon, what I'm concerned about is in 30 years time, are we going to look back at this and say, why did we allow this to happen based on what is a minority demanding that, you know, a 12 or 13 year old be listened to? I'm not suggesting we shouldn't listen to them. I take that. Maybe you took that up wrongly, but certainly we should listen to them. But being given puberty blockers, when I mean, you can't have a 12 year old demanding that they get puberty blockers. And there has been cases around the world, as Chris mentioned already in Canada, uh, they have legislation there where parents have no say in the matter. And a 12 year old child, there was a court case during the week, actually, I was only reading about it. I can't remember where it was. I think it may have been the UK in the high court where basically a child was, or the court decided that a child had the right to make a medical decision and give consent to taking the puberty blockers against their parents' wishes. Yes, I mean, the, the problem is, in this country, um, I, I, in 2015, the Children's Act, um, the children obviously have certain rights now within this country. So parents that don't affirm their child's gender, those children can be taken off them and put into uh, foster care. Um, wow. And that has happened. People think it didn't happen, it has happened. Um, and those children may have then gone on to uh, taking puberty blockers um, and would have been sent to Tavistock. So we know from the CAST report that some of the children were as young as five years of age from Ireland that went to uh, Tavistock. And how, this is how can a five-year-old? I. I... I'm lost, and I, and, I, and I listen to trans people talk to me. But how can I... How I, can, can I can address this one. Uh, a so they'll do social transition. They'll do social transition. So new name, new pronouns. And some people think this is harmless. What's the big deal about using he, him pronouns for a girl? Well, as Dr. Hillary Cass has stated in her report, this is a very serious psychosocial intervention on these, child, on these children. Every time you use the wrong pronouns for this child, you're sending a message that they were born in the wrong body, that there is something wrong with them. And when this happens in schools and these children receive this message thousands of times over the course of the school year, every time they hear that they are now a he, him, or a she, her, the opposite sex, they're being reaffirmed that they were born in the wrong body, which is an extraordinarily psychologically abusive thing to say to a child. The body positive message we should be sending is that our children are beautiful just as they are. There's no right way to be a boy or a girl. No drugs or scalpels needed. 
But somehow in this society, it seems to be we're helping children to be who they really are by sterilizing them. It's total madness. I mean, Sharon, in Ireland, we've seen a lot lately of children being born, you know, genderless. Uh, well, according to their parents uh, of being genderless, who people who disassociate gender from biological sex, whereas I would believe that both are intrinsically linked. But you're seeing more and more parents deciding not to tell people the gender of the child and this idea that the child can decide what gender they are. How do you feel about that? I think they're doing uh, a great disservice to the child, um, in my opinion. Um, Look, I, I mean, I'm a parent myself, um, although I've adult children now um, and I fostered over 100 children uh, over my 12 years of fostering. And I think to start the child on that road in life is, is, is I would consider to be child abuse. Mm -hmm. That's what I would consider to be, to, to not give the child uh, an opportunity to be the, the, the body that they're born in be that boy or to be that girl and to embrace their body and to love their body from a very very young age and I think that's what Chris is trying to say we need to teach children to embrace the person that they're born the body that they're born in and to love the body that they're born in and down the road I mean as you people will decide whether they decide to be heterosexual homosexual whatever that is not the issue here it's, it's so important that we don't trans away the gay mm. community here in this country. And that's yeah. uh, indeed worldwide. And that seems to be what we're doing. And that is very, very concerning for the gay and lesbian community out there. If I may follow up that point really briefly, Niall. Yep. She speaks of transing the gay away. Thank you so much, Senator, for bringing this up. Oh, I do apologize. I seem to have lost both there. I'm sorry, I think I've lost... Is Sharon still there? Sorry, I think I said... I'm Sharon. here. Yes, Sharon, I, I've lost Chris there. I'll try and get him back into the room in a second. Maybe just if we could... Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, just, uh, he's so glad you brought up that point. But I wanted to bring up the point while we're getting Chris back again. I wanted to get back to the point in relation to the legislation, the proposed legislation, which has already gone through the yeah. doll, voted to by, by 110 uh, members of uh, the doll and uh, discouraged by 14 members of the doll. And most of those who voted for it probably haven't even read all the legislation because I did interview one or two and they hadn't actually read the legislation or all of the legislation. It now goes to the Senate. So it's now your turn to debate it, Sharon. But do you honestly believe this is going to go through with the amount of, of objections publicly that we've heard and even public submissions uh, that were suggested? I mean, is it going to go through? Well, they certainly haven't listened to the people and they haven't listened to the public in relation to the public consultation. So, yes, I, I have a feeling it will go through the Senate. Now, whether there's a judicial review on it, um, that remains to be seen. But there are some very strong uh, active groups out there. Free Speech Ireland is very strong uh, out there at this moment in time. They've been... Fantastic. They've been on the ground for over a year uh, alerting people to this particular piece of legislation. It hasn't worked uh, trying to get the, the upper, the, the lower house engaged, which is an awful shame. I cannot believe that some of the TDs voted for this. I don't actually think they knew what they were voting for and the, the significance uh, of, of this piece of legislation. Um, not, not just to the people on the right, but also the people on the left. 
I mean, but, but the confusion, with, but the well, confusion seems to be around. And and you're right because I've spoken to many people during the week in relation to that. Even yeah. those I consider to be some of my the callers that got into my show who I get in for balance purely for balance because they're the biggest lefties that I know. Even yeah. they disagree with it because they say again, there's no definition of the word hate. And even some of the suggestions by some of the TDs in relation to amendments to that legislation talk about words like prejudice, bias, contempt, hostility, bigotry. I mean, really, that's just getting rid of everything, isn't it? It is really, and uh, I suppose that that is most importantly is trying to get the definition of of hate, trying to get the definition Can of, you uh, of gender. And I th- and I think we're, we're very lucky, I suppose, that we have Senator McDowell, Michael McDowell, uh, who has been the Attorney General before, um, who's been the Minister for Justice before, um, and uh, who's now in the Senate. So we're really blessed to have him uh, arguing the case in relation to those two those two pieces. Uh, those two words in particular, and also Senator Mullen. These are both these are both significant legislators within the Shannon, and I'm hoping that the Shannon is given due process to debate these particular issues. Um, I hope hope that the legislation is not going to be guillotined in any way. Uh, the fact that they have disrespected um, the the public consultation um, and they have not listened to what the people have wanted, I'm sure that they're going to allow the upper house debate this uh, in a very democratic way. And that's the that's what I would expect. And I think uh, Minister McEntee is going to be back for that, that particular piece of legislation. So she's due back in June, I think. I mean, finally, in relation to the options around this legislation, uh, as you mentioned already, it'll probably go in before the summer recess, probably get signed by the president, uh, probably September, uh, realistically. You know, the, the suggestion that the, the president can't refuse to sign anything, he could push this forward to the Supreme Court. Do you believe it's constitutionally sound? No, I don't. I absolutely don't. But I think Ireland Ireland has uh, tried to um, be, I suppose, the leader in many aspects in relation to uh, getting legislation through that seem seems to be quite... Um, to show that they're probably the, the good buys of Europe and the good buys mm. of the West, and the, you know that they can work their people and get their people to do what they want. Um, we're seeing this around I, a lot of we're we're seeing this around a lot of things at the moment. Currently, of course. The, you know, the best in the world have suggested that Ireland, when it comes to immigration, should be capping numbers. We talked about this last year to many politicians yeah. who agreed we should be capping numbers, but we, we just Absolutely. need to be motoring ahead. Uh, and it doesn't matter yeah. It doesn't matter what happens. And the problem for that is we're turning people against each other. And sadly, we're seeing what's happening in Ennis at the moment. We saw what happened in Pierce Street last so week. But somebody, so I mean, which, yeah, I mean, and what we're doing is, and I watched a really sad video where there was an immigrant, a protest, an immigrant had come out, he took an iron bar, started swinging at the protesters, they beat him up. And I felt so sorry for everybody in that situation because what's happening is it's the government's decisions and bad policies that are turning people against each other because Irish people are not like that. Absolutely not. And this is all down to the government and the government's failure to deal with it and to, to show real leadership in it, because that's exactly what this country is lacking at this moment is leadership. Um, we could solve this situation very quickly. I think next week you'll have a lot of the student accommodation coming on stream um, mm. and opening up. People will be going home uh, from their college courses. So there will be accommodation uh, coming uh, in, in, in universities, but that should relieve the situation temporarily because that's all it is really temporary. They're just getting a fix for a couple of months and then in September again, 
we're going to have the same problem again. And the, the reason I mentioned that is because, according to, to Grip Media as well at the time, in relation to the hate speech laws, the public submissions or the public opinion doesn't seem to matter. We ran a poll just on my own Twitter account. It got 6,000 votes. Not scientific. I understand that. But 6,000 mm. votes, 97% of people believe we should be capping numbers. The same way as up roughly 97 to 98% of people believe this hate speech law is wrong. But yet the government are not listening to people. And sorry, I have Chris back again. Sorry, Chris. I don't know why we lost <laughs> you there. But I do apologise. But, but but Chris, I was just talking to Sharon about the fact that the government are not really listening to the people anymore. And I don't know if you find that the same in Canada and other countries that you have toured over the last few months, that, you know, the sentiment on the street seems to be different to the sentiment coming from the government. A hundred percent. I think it's always been the case that government representatives aren't really representing their constituents. On the specific issue I campaign about, it's definitely the case because I get support from more than 90% of the population. Yet we have activist organizations who are really the ones being represented by these politicians. And this has been traditionally pushed by leftist political parties. But on the street, it's not a left versus right issue. No one wants their children being harmed. No one wants their kids getting sterilized with puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones. And in many jurisdictions of the world, they're even hiding the social transition of children going on in these schools. And I was going to say really briefly before, the vast majority of the time, we know from all of the academic peer-reviewed studies that have ever been done, Kids with severe gender dysphoria from a young age, when they go through puberty, they simply outgrow it. It goes away. The cure for this gender dysphoria is puberty itself. Now we block the cure. And historically, a majority of these well, kids... In fairness, not for, not for everybody, Chris. I mean, there are people who continue on in their adult life and decide they want to transition. And look, if you're an okay. adult and okay, you well, want to transition, well, me, you far away. Let me address that. But there's a really important point here is that historically, a majority of the kids with gender dysphoria, when they grew up, they saw it go away, and a majority grew up to be gay. So what this ideology is doing is it is harming children who would grow up to be gay. We know from the Tavistock that 35% of the kids had moderate to severe autism. That's out of a sample size of 1,038 children. If you include the mild cases, it goes about 50%. We've got Jamie Reed, a whistleblower from the transgender Washington Transgender Clinic in St. Louis, Missouri, who worked there for four years, she describes herself as a queer woman who's politically left of Bernie Sanders, and she's married to a trans man. And she says that these children, their parents are 10 times as likely to, more likely to have been sex offenders. These are kids in foster care. These are kids with other mental health comorbidities. And they don't get treated for that anymore. They get told that gender is the source of all your struggles. But when this only affected one out of 30,000 kids, and now you get part areas of the world where it affects one out of 30, we need to ask ourselves, what the heck is going on? Because this is the most stereotypical, regressive, sexist ideology we could ever possibly dream up. It teaches our children who don't conform to the standards of their sex that they must be trans just because they're a little different. It's totally backwards and but, but, regressive, but you, not But do you accept, we, we do in Ireland have, we were in the first countries in the world, if I remember rightly, to have the gender recognition bill, which means that you can self-identify. In other words, you don't have to, you know, to go and talk to a psychologist or psychiatrist as you would have before, uh, because obviously it's not considered anymore to be a mental illness, according to the uh, WHO. But uh, you can self-identify uh, once you're 18 years of age. Currently at the moment, there is a suggestion that age limit should be reduced. I personally don't agree with it, and I don't think many people do agree with it. But you do except that there are people over the age of 18 um, who are not happy with the body they're in, who believe they were born in the wrong body and want to live their lives out as the opposite gender. You accept that, don't you? I accept that. However, doctors have still sworn an oath to first to do no harm. 
and you never go straight to the most invasive procedure for anything. There's a condition called apotemnophilia, where people believe that they would be better off if a limb was cut off. But doctors I know, won't I know. cut I, off I, I, I watched a shocking documentary last week where a woman um, was convinced, she, and I know this sounds like it's bizarre, but it's true, she identified as a blind person. And um, she had gone to a number of doctors. Thankfully, none of them actually wanted to make her blind. So she decided to make herself blind um, by pouring uh, bleach in her eyes. And, you know, we have to observe that there are people out there that have a mental health problem. That is clearly a mental health problem if somebody goes to that kind of extreme to identify. But I suppose we're adding letters to the LGBTQ plus all the time. The latest one is um, Two Spirit, which I think it's uh, 2S, which is at the start of the LGBT, which I, as far as I know uh, is being used by, was used originally by Native American Indians who consider themselves to be gay. Uh, a two-spirited person, in other words. I don't know how it, uh, you know, it, modern it, person it in the university is two-spirit. It wasn't used by them. This was a term invented, I believe, in the 90s by some white university professors uh, to describe them. They're basically social justice warriors apologizing for everything and making up things that never existed. Essentially, when they talk about two-spirit people, they're talking about gay people who weren't necessarily accepted as being gay in their uh, older cultures. And the, so they use this now, they describe it as two-spirit to describe people as though they were considering them to be transgender like we would consider this today. Yet the term gender identity was never even invented until the 60s. My expression is that there are two sexes, there are zero genders, and there are infinite personalities, because that just captures everybody. And there's no right way to be a girl, a boy, a man, or a woman. But you mentioned with the adult population, we should still be screening for trauma and abuse and other mental health comorbidities, because the right answer isn't always just chopping off some body parts. No, I wouldn't agree. I don't, and I don't think anybody agrees that's the, the right initial answer. Of course, we, you know, people should investigate it and obviously get a second opinion in relation to it. Just finally, Sharon, in relation to gender identity, it has become a big thing. We have seen many cases, both in the UK and here in Ireland, where school teachers, for example, have been... Um, suspended, fired in the UK as well. One Christian school teacher last week in the UK even made an agreement with the school that she wouldn't refer to a child as their, as a, uh, their new pronoun and wouldn't use a pronoun at all to try and compromise. But the school didn't accept that and they fired her as well. I mean, should school teachers be adaptable and should they be adapting to they, him, he, she uh, pronouns or X pronouns or Y pronouns or whatever pronoun a child chooses to use? I think there has to be conscientious objection in relation to all of this. And I think that has happened uh, in the Garlicia Corner recently. They had to withdraw some um, legislation that they were bringing within the Garda force. They, they had to back, back road on it um, because they hadn't trained up anybody. Uh, uh, um, that's what I believe has happened. However, I think they are going to implement it in, in the future. Um, but because they had no training in it, uh, I think uh, Drew Harris withdrew uh, the recommendation to penalise officers that didn't address certain uh, officers by they, them, or he, he, him, or she, her, or whatever. So um, they're mm. waiting to train up their Garthi in relation to that. They, going down the line in relation to the education in primary schools and secondary schools, it's going to be a nightmare, and you're going to see a lot of cases, uh, court cases going forward. Um, and I certainly well, it's another piece of legislation that's being completely ignored by the government. And we're seeing the Minister for yeah. Education and, uh, moving ahead with a new curriculum, which will include gender identity. Uh, and a lot yeah. of parents, I, I'm not saying all, some agree with it, but a lot of parents disagree with it. And they say they want to opt their children out. Now, Leo Varadkar has already said he will allow parents to opt their children out. But it's a little bit unfair on children to have to opt out of classes, isn't it? 
It is really. I mean, and that's sort of, sort of others the children straight away. So I, I don't think that's right. Um, I, I don't think it's right to be teaching teaching children uh, at this young age about genders, gender gender ideology. Certainly not until they're. 15, 16 years of age. Yeah, that would be the right... Junior cycle would be, fi would be fine because they're, 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 they're logical and they can think about it, yeah. Okay, well, and, well, and you know what, Niall, with all these curriculums that teach this, they're sneaky about it. There won't necessarily be a lesson just on gender identity. They combine it with anti-bullying teaching mm. where they talk about being transgender and all of that. So they get it in that way. So you can't even really opt out of your children, opt your children out of these different teachings because it's woven into everything. Well I, well, I would always ask, because I was bullied myself in school as a young child, and I would always ask people that no matter what somebody identifies or ever how they feel or what they are, I would always, uh, you know, I would be very strict around bullying because I think every school should have a bullying policy uh, that deals with that. No matter, what the, no matter what the Nobody child is. No, Nobody can do violence. Nobody can do violence. Last week, in Navin, yes. It was terrible, absolutely terrible. We had a young child, 14 years of age, that was beaten up very badly. Um... It, it was terrible. It was absolutely terrible to watch. Horrific to watch. Anyone, any parent that watched that last week that has a child that is a little bit different in life uh, must be very worried for the child because we, we certainly are not a very tolerant society. I thought we were, um, but it seems maybe it's the culturism that is the new culturism in Ireland that is changing. Changing Ireland. Well, I, I don't. I don't know, Sharon, because we talk about tolerance, and just very quickly, because I know you're both busy, and it's a Saturday evening, and I hate keeping both of you so late. But I mean, I spoke to Michael Schellenberger, the author, and uh, one of the authors of the Twitter files, actually, and he has spoken quite a lot about public policy. He's an expert in public policy, and he talked about tolerance. And and I'm not going to give you his exact quote, but paraphrasing, he suggested that we have never been a more tolerant civilization. For example, he mentioned America. For example, only five percent of Americans fifty years ago agreed with. Um, um, interracial marriage, but now it's 95%. Um, we now have gay marriage. We have, you know, same-sex marriage. We have same-sex adoption. We're a very tolerant society. I don't see any evidence of this massive intolerance. You're always going to have some level of intolerance in society, but I don't see any massive evidence of suddenly us all being very intolerant, if anything at all, quite the opposite. But there's a level to, you know, how much you can actually push on people, uh, particularly when it gets to a bizarre stage, uh, without people kind of going, oh, well, hold on a second here. Well, I suppose what we witnessed last week was very intolerant. Of course, uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, and that was violent uh, against a, a, a young... Uh, and, and the fact they film it and put it up online is uh, even yeah, bizarre. Absolutely. And the, the person that filmed that and uh, egged it on was just... It was just woeful to watch, to tell you the truth. Yeah. It's apparent. And, and hopefully them. the guy that Sheikh Connor will be investigating that and those yeah. who are responsible, should absolutely. we should make sure absolutely. they're punished for their crimes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I, I, I don't know... Um, you know, the world is changing. Um, Ireland Ireland is changing. I'm sure Canada is changing. Um, uh, emigration is changing us as well. Um, mm. There's a cultural piece of education there that needs to be done uh, here in Ireland. And it's, a, it's important that, you know, people that come to Ireland know uh, the rules of our land as well. You know, the, lo the, the laws of our land um, and what to, what to abide by. And that's really, really important. I did okay. speak about the, to our local Gardaí um, early last year when we had uh, 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 our refugees that came in here, you know, it's important that they know the rule of law that operates here in Ireland and that cultural piece of education and legislation of course. needs to be taught to, to, to minority groups that are coming in here, uh, 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 Ukrainians that are coming in here, uh, people that are coming in from the direct provision 
uh, into the direct provision centre. That's really, really important that we integrate them, but they have to know what the rule of the, uh, our land is. Similar, similar to if we went away to a foreign country, we would Absolutely. always make ourselves aware of what the laws are, the traditions, and how far you can go but and how very, far you can't go. It's very hard to do that Absolutely. when you do, don't speak the language of the land. Well, it, well, so, it's, very hard, well you know, it's very hard to do too when you're being silenced. Uh, and unfortunately, those that silencing looks like it's going to get worse. Uh, last word to you, Chris. So you're you're heading off to London, I believe, and Scotland. Uh, you're going to be doing a tour. Do you think you'll be accepted equally as well, with the exception of your uh, your interjection today by Angarda Sheikhan? Do you think you'll be accepted in London? I don't know whether you'll get the same wonderful response that you got here in Grafton Street in Ireland today. Yeah, I was in London on Wednesday and had a fabulous response until I went to University College of London because, of course, most of the pushback I get comes from university students, younger the younger crowd are the ones who mm. have had their empathy weaponized and they think they're being so kind and loving, but they don't have their critical thinking skills going. But no, England was beautiful to me. I was in Oxford and the police there stood up for me wonderfully. I had a video go viral on mm-hmm. over 3 million views because I was getting harassed there. And the police really stood up for me. And I know I'll have a great time in Scotland as well because it's just like everywhere in the world I go. It is not controversial to say that our children are beautiful just as they are. And they are. And it's the truth. And this whole ideology is based on a lie. There's no such thing as a child born in the wrong body. We need to rip this thing out from its roots and abolish it completely. But thank you so much for having me on your show, Niall. And Sharon, it's been an immense pleasure to be joined by you. Thank you and so thank much. thank you for your courage, Chris. It's, uh, it must I, be really difficult doing what you're doing. And I wish you every success uh, to continue to do what you do. And I'm assuming, My Sharon, pleasure. you will be, you will be bringing this up uh, in the Shannon as well. Um, your Absolutely. conversation about with Chris and you'll also be bringing up before this legislation gets passed through before the summer recess. Yes, I will. I do that this week. Thank you very much indeed, uh, Sharon Great. and uh, Chris. Thank you very much indeed for joining us thank this you. evening. Now, thank one you. or two, uh, we've, uh, some people want to give us a quick call or want to get involved in this conversation. By the way, if you want to get involved in the conversation, you can WhatsApp or text at 85 That's 85 Yes, I know we're normally not on on a Saturday night, but we just decided to do it. We thought it was a good idea based on what happened to Chris today and his experience. Um, and some, some callers in the air as well. Saoirse Nilochlan. Uh, is it? I'm going to get this pronunciation wrong. Saoirse <laughs> Nilochlan. Sorry, Nick, Nick Lachlan, sorry. Saoirse, I'm yeah. not a great speaker of the Gaelic language, even though I've been living here all my life, so you can correct me and give out to me if you want to. Go on. Hi, yeah, my name is Saoirse. I'm the uh, sports working group lead uh, spokesperson from an organisation called The Countess. Okay. Um, so we are campaigning on the issues that Chris and Sharon have been speaking about tonight there, and we have eight different kind of pillars of concern or areas that we've identified that need work and... Um, Obviously, the protection of children in schools and safeguarding is a major one of those. And another thing that was touched on briefly was, um, you know, the treatment of young uh, gay, lesbian, bisexual people as well under transgender ideology or gender mm. ideology. Um, so we have groups looking at that um, also. And, um, one of the, one of the big concerns worldwide is, so, sorry, uh, sorry to interrupt you, one of the big concerns worldwide, and you've been also looking into this new campaign in relation to it, is, is women's sports. Uh, that has become yeah. a huge problem worldwide. And we have spoken yeah. about that on the show before in the past. And, you know, in certain sports, it's kind of irrelevant. But in, like, for example, in golf or whatever it happens to be. But in some sports, well, it's very it relevant. It's, it's very relevant in almost all sports. There are, in fact, very, very few that aren't in somewhat... Um, somewhat affected by sex. Um, say, for example, gymnastics, there's different codes for the male and female 
sports. But like in golf, you have really much longer drives for males versus females. There's okay. differences in accuracy. So there are a few sports, but actually when you dig down into the numbers, you find that almost every sport is sex. Sex, well, well sex, is this not the reason that we I was so, going to say is this yeah. not the reason why we some bright spark many many moons ago decided when we're going to have sports and athletic sports we need to break them down and divide them into yeah. male and female yeah. otherwise it would be unfair because men are generally stronger than women they generally have longer thigh bones and longer legs so they can run faster they generally have different muscular or skeletal bodies so they, they can move just differently and physically I suppose uh, they're a little bit more aggressive than women too I mean I've seen a horrendous um, fight I'm not into MMA but somebody showed me a clip of an MMA fight yeah. between a transgender female and um, uh, a biological female and my gosh uh, he did her some damage yeah. and, and that's difficult to watch and of course yeah. we listened to, to Riley Gaines talking uh, you know about swimming as well uh, in the United States which she's been very outspoken in relation to Leah Thomas uh, coming into the, the into the swimming world and basically winning every single trophy which is very difficult on young girls who spent their whole lives being competitive and trying to get to the top isn't it? And especially when you consider the sort of second-class citizens nearly that female sport are, you know, it's been very difficult to raise the profile of women's sport enough, and now you're seeing it being essentially undermined by policies that allow males to compete against uh, females in, you know, in all sorts of areas. Like cycling is particularly badly affected at the moment, mm -hmm. and there's another report of a young girl who missed out on an opportunity just um, in the last few days where. You know, she she was injured during a training session by a man who says he's a woman. He was 30 years old. This is a 16, 17-year-old teenager. She came off her bike, she got a concussion, and she couldn't race in the race. So she lost the opportunity to win £7,000 because there was inclusion of this male into her sport. Like, we would consider that is absolutely unconscionable. It's completely unfair to young girls coming up. And it's also unfair, even on girls who are playing in their local clubs, like where my kids play, you know, they're, they're training week in, week out. And if you put them up against a 14, 15 year old lad playing hurling, they wouldn't have a chance. And, and what, 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 what's, and so what's the reaction been as a member of Countess, uh, a group that basically yeah. are very active in relation to this and talking about this on a regular basis mm. and campaigning uh, in relation to this? What has been the reaction? Are you being called a transphobe? Oh yeah, sure. That's that's kind of for the course. To be honest, most people, like Chris uh, showed today, that most people actually don't agree um, that males should be allowed to compete against females or males should be allowed into female spaces. And um, we did a poll a couple of years ago that showed that, and the people we talked to also showed that to us. But. There are well, this, this was Riley Gaines's issue. I mean, I know Riley Gaines yeah. talked about yeah. this recently in the exactly. I think, uh, before the Senate, and she talked about Leah Thomas uh, coming into the yeah. dressing room with his penis exposed uh, and uh, yeah. into a woman's space. And of course, the argument was, well, then could you not just put them all in cubicles? But it's not say, quite the same thing. I mean, women, like men, need their space, need their dignity, particularly yeah. when we're talking about private parts of the body. I think it's ridiculous to suggest all of a sudden that we should compromise that or abandon, I suppose, the dignity of the majority uh, just for the ideology of the minority. Couldn't oh. agree more. Um, you know, we would see that and even oh. the, a, a swimming pool in the UK where a Muslim group had started going swimming, the space was reserved for them as females. They were told this was fine. There will be no males in the swimming area at all. They were very, very disadvantaged women. Very, you know, it's difficult for them to get out and about. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, a man who said he's a woman 
kicked up a sink and was allowed to use the pool at the same time as this group of other women, uh, of Muslim women, and they no longer went swimming. They just excluded themselves. Unfortunately, we're starting to lose your line a little bit there. Yes, I do apologise. Sorry. Women women often will simply self-exclude. And so when you say it's inclusive, you're, it's only inclusive for one side. Oh. And girls affected will actually just remove themselves. Okay, unfortunately, we're, we're losing your line just a little bit there. But I, I do understand the points you're making, Circa, and I appreciate you coming on the air and talking to us. I want to go to Stephen very quickly before we finish up this evening. Stephen. Good evening, now. How are you doing, Stephen? Um, I've been listening to Circa, and she's still on the line there, but unfortunately her, her mobile is maybe just in a bad area. But Stephen, go ahead. You want to make a comment? Yeah, well, I'll pick up on one of Circa's points. Trans people self-exclude all the time as well. And if a trans man walks into, say, a men's changing room by a pool or in a gym or whatever it is, but hasn't um, had genital reassignment surgery and they're walking around naked, mm. you know, men are going to see a vagina, basically. Of course, Um, But my question to you is something that uh, Sharon didn't answer when you asked her, what's the definition of hate? What's your definition of hate? What's your definition of hate, Stephen? What is hate? Well, no, I asked you first. My definition of hate? I mean, I think hate is an emotion. I mean, I could tell you that I hate you, right? I don't, by the way, because I don't even know you, right? But I could tell you that I hate you, but I don't think it's a crime for me to hate you. It's an emotion. Now, if I incite hatred upon you, in other words, if I tell people, for example, I want everyone to bash up Stephen, well, then that's incitement to hatred. That should be a criminal offence, and I don't disagree with that. But to suggest mm. that, that hatred in itself should be a criminal offence is bonkers. I mean, they described, for example, some of the amendments to the law that have been described where hate includes bias, prejudice, contempt, hostility, and bigotry. I mean, you could essentially say that everybody who's a Catholic then is guilty of that because they don't agree with homosexuality, for example, because that's their belief, which is protected under the Constitution as well. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with them um, because I don't have an issue with people who are gay, but I don't agree with them. But they're entitled to their view. I don't think that should be a criminal offence to hold a view that may not be agreed with by somebody else. I mean, if I say something to you that's offensive, you might deem it as hatred to me. It's just my opinion. It's a very difficult one, but it is just an emotion. Yes, and, you know, our, our right to freedom of uh, expression is protected under the Constitution and it's protected, it's protected in the upcoming bill as well. Um, you know, my dad was bullied for being a Protestant, mm-hmm. you know. So yeah. and my, my, his parents had massive problems with him marrying my mother, who was a Catholic, yeah. you know. Um, I'll give you three definite. Well, I'll give you one definition of hate. Yeah, give me, uh, give me your definition. What's your definition of hate? Dictionary is an intense hostility or aversion, usually deriving from fear, anger, or a sense of injury. Mm. Uh, that's the Merriam-Webster dictionary. Yeah. Um, and you're right. The, me hating somebody for doing something to me or saying something to me or whatever it is is one thing. Me doing something because of that hate is where uh, the crime happens. Okay, wait, 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 urging okay. somebody to attack you or somebody Absolutely. else. Absolutely, for, for a physical happens, point of view. Regardless of whether it happens yes. or not. But for a physical and point again, of view. And again, that's what the law says, or what the proposed law says. Okay, let's, let's just know. say, for example, I went online, not that I would, but I went online and said, I don't believe a man can be a woman. And, and I just made that statement. As far as I'm concerned, there's only two mm. uh, genders and they're not interchangeable. So that's, that's mm. an opinion, right? 
But if I was transgender, mm-hmm. I might take offense to that. I'd say that's, you know, hatred. That's dis- discouraging or, dis- or encouraging people, uh, you know, to hate the trans community. And all of a sudden you find yourself in a courtroom. Mm. You know, I mean, well, that's, that's unacceptable. One, I think it's fair to say that stuff that you've said on your on your personal Twitter account would amount to such a thing, if not directly uh, saying such a thing. Number two, if I, if I as a trans person or as a trans uh, ally reported you to the Gardaí because of what you said, mm. it's up to the Gardaí investigating to make a decision as to whether or not something has actually happened. And then it's for the, dire- the director of public prosecutions. And if, if it gets as far as a judge, it's up to a judge to decide. But should we be really going... But should we be really going down that route in the first place where somebody has the opportunity to report somebody for having an opinion they may not agree with or that offends them? Should we be allowing people somebody to do that? Somebody can already route? do it anyway. No, well, they can't really. They can you know, the 1989 anyway. Incitement to Hatred Act, if you went to the guards and said, you know, somebody put up a thing on Twitter the other day saying um, they don't agree with gay marriage or they don't agree with, uh, you know, trans people in sports or they don't agree with this, that or the other, whatever it happens to be, the guards mm. are not going to entertain that. They'll say, well, did he do anything? And I'll give you an example, exactly, right? Exactly, yeah. Two years ago... It's up ago, to the guard uh, to make a decision. Okay, three... Actually, it was more. Before five years ago, we had an individual harass me with death threats and threatened to rape my producer. We reported that individual. was on Twitter. We reported that individual to the Garda Sheikana. And the answer we got at the time from a Garda Sheikana was about four or five years ago, I think, was that there's not really a lot we can do uh, unless they actually do something. Or have they actually done mm. anything? And I go, well, No but here's the person's phone number because they sent texts in with the same um, style of writing so we know it's the same person. Right. And here's yeah. their Twitter account and here's the tweets they put up. And mm-hmm. uh, and there was nothing done about it. Now, don't get me wrong. I wasn't running home terrified every night the person was going to kill me because I knew most people. I remember many, many years ago I got a death threat in another radio station. I spoke to a guard about it. And he says, you should, you'd be just glad that they actually said it to you because the ones that say it to you are not the ones that are going to do anything. It's the ones that don't say mm-hmm. it to you are the ones you should be concerned about. Uh, but I, 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 I fear that we go down a road and I don't want anybody to be hating on other people. I don't want anybody to be mean to an individual. You know, if you want to make a comment in reference to any community, whatever it is, or your views. I believe people should be free to do that and express yourself. But I don't want to see people making it personal and picking on an individual or whatever it happens to be because then, you know, what you're doing then is encouraging other people to do that or or pylons or whatever they want to call it online. Mm -hmm. But um, the other thing is, I don't want to see, you know, general speech being made a criminal offence. I think that's the the line or that's certainly the route we're going down, isn't it? Well, I think, as you as you've said many times, like there are laws already in place to protect against a lot of this. The the new bill, if and when it comes into effect, uh, simply kind of goes far enough to codify uh, more. Spe- it kind of pulls together all of the other things like the Equal Status Act and defamation and everything else that goes into it and incitement to hatred. You know, I don't have a particular problem with that. I do think that the the bar is going to be set incredibly high for something to get to uh, court, you mm. know, I, so, you posting yeah. something up yeah. and me getting offended by it is wrong. I think I should be able to, to have my say about it, which I have had plenty of times. Yep. Um, should you be able to report me? If that then comes back against me and I get labeled as a groomer and a pedophile and everything else, which I have been, um, you know, I'm a big boy. I can take it. But, 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 but hang on. Hang on. No, no, no. Now, rewind the, the conversation. Now, rewind the conversation. 
if you go online and somebody starts calling you a pedo or a groomer or whatever it happens to be because of your views, right? And, and of course, you're not any of those things. But if somebody says that to you, there's already laws in place to protect you from that mm. happening. So there's the defamation laws of Ireland. We have defamation mm. laws. We have probably some of the best defamation laws in the world. So much so that people from mm. all over the world come to Ireland to take defamation cases. So you mm-hmm. already have defamation of character. You can go to Twitter. You can demand the IP address of the person. Get your solicitor to get involved. And you have a defamation case. So if somebody mm-hmm. calls you any of those names, we already have something there to protect you. Yeah, but I'm also required to go to the high court to get Twitter mm-hmm. to well, uh, that's the way it works. The information, and even then, they're not required to do it. Well, in most cases, they have been required to do it, but that's the way it works. Mm-hmm. You can't, you couldn't make defamation too easy because then everybody would be just taking cases in the high court before. That's why well, they yeah, require five thousand euro just to get you in the door. As I said, though, I'm a fairly big boy. I can I can look after myself, mm. and I'm you know these little things aren't going to bother me. Well, too well much. let me let me ask you a question. Um, Should if you were given an opportunity, if it went to a public vote and there was a referendum on this tomorrow, and knowing what you know about the the current proposed legislation, not any amendments to it, or the proposed legislation currently at the moment, would you vote for it? Yes, I would. Okay, uh, sorry, Circa, are you back there? Yeah, I'm here. So you heard what Stephen said. He would vote mm. for this hate speech legislation, which in turn, by the way, would, I don't know, silence your campaign. It may, because some people would consider your campaign. Well, I don't know, Stephen. Some people may consider her campaign to be hateful against people who identify as women in women's sports. Yeah. yeah. But at it's the same concern, point, it's a concern it's that not we have. To... No, hang on. Just so, let's let's yeah, well, Circa just respond to that. Sorry, Circa. Go on. So yeah, it is a concern. It is a concern that we have around around the the proposed legislation, you know, that we've been raising. So yes, we would be we would be worried that people would feel afraid, and the effect of the legislation prosecution. But it may be just that people feel less comfortable in speaking their own minds, which we're only just beginning to break through the barrier on that in the first place. Mm. So um, you know, we wouldn't like to go back to a situation where people were afraid to speak out and say, actually, no, I don't agree with this. My daughter shouldn't be sharing that space or that sport or whatever. Mm. You know, so we would like to. We we always want to provide a framework. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm curious, and I'm sorry about your line. I, I'm, I'm not too sure if it's a speakerphone, Your Honour, whatever it is, but just stay there for a second, Circa, because I want to ask Stephen a question in relation to your own campaign. Stephen, how do you feel about, um, you know, men who identify as women, um, trans people, um, competing in women's sports? What do I think about it? Yeah. I think it should be fine and allowed, you know. The, the you think it's acceptable for a, ma- for, a, for a biological male hang, to compete against women? You mentioned the UFC case where it was a trans woman uh, in a fight with a cis woman. Yeah. People so. often kind of neglect the fact that a lot of cis women have broken people's eye sockets and I'm sure broken they bones have. and I, caused concussion and things Steven, like that. It's, it's not, not a sport I would watch. A trans woman. No, neither do I. Yeah. I, find, I frankly find the whole thing a bit... Disturbing, to be honest with you. Uh, yeah. Okay, but let, yeah. Let's, let's get to the more obvious one, which is the one that's been talked about all over the world, which is Leah Thomas, the swimmer, and Riley Gaines has spoken mm. out about Who's that. Who's not winning every, competi- every competition she participates in. Well, she's, winning gla- she's winning quite a lot of them. She and her teammates. Mm-hmm. Well, what do, you, what, do you say so, to, what do you say to women who are not happy about that? Who believe that it's an unfair advantage? I mean, you've just got to look in a lot of cases and you see somebody who looks like a physical male who identifies as a woman, um, you know, standing five foot in, or five inches taller than a woman. You've just got to look at it sometimes and you can see it's obviously a problem. 
Surely, Stephen, you can see that. It's logical. Surely it'd be What's the, the same point? problem for a, for a biological woman, because I won't use the term cisgender because you don't like it. No, I'm not, well, I'm not uh, a cis male. I'm, I'm just a, just a male. a biological woman yeah. who, is, who is at six foot four racing against people that are five foot eight or whatever it is, that's obviously going to confer an advantage on the six foot four woman, whether they're, you know, if they're biologically female, it's still going to confer an advantage. So, so you, so you know, you, you know, you, you, okay. you segregate all, on no, hang on. I'm still speaking. Oh. Do you segregate all sports by uh, height as no, well? No, by as gender. In, as, no, by height. No, because you can't, no, because now you're going to get silly because if we, would have, if we were doing that, we would have done that years ago. The people do have yeah. advantage. Well, hold on for a second. When, when athletes have an advantage, they have an advantage because they may be stronger. They may be a little bit faster than others and that's why they win the sports. But we've always segregated by gender and the reason we segregate by gender is because in general, men are bigger and stronger than women. In general. Not always. There are a lot of women out there who would beat me tomorrow. Sorry, Sir, you want mm. to say something to Stephen there? Go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, it's a, it's, a, it's a kind of a fallacy that this thing about, the, oh, if somebody was taller or whatever. In actual fact, the, it's not the height that confers the advantage. Yes, it does confer an advantage, but a man and a woman at an equal height, the man will still be stronger. They have different muscle structure, they have different size heart and lungs. With, even the mm. width of their shoulders is different. So a woman at the same height as Leah Thomas would still be at a disadvantage to Leah Thomas. That's why they're not divided by height. It's why they're divided by sex. And it's really disingenuous to say, oh, well, you know, so-and-so is taller or something like that. It's, it's actually not borne out by the stats. And the stats between equal height or equal weight still show that there's a male advantage. It's not to do with simple one metric. It's not to do with simply testosterone. It's not simply to do with the height. It's not simply to do with the weight. It's to do with the combination of all of those factors that are given by the fact of somebody being born male, experiencing testosterone as an infant and again as a teenager, and that that is what confers the difference in physical abilities between males and females. Sorry, Stephen, you can and respond. And that can't be negated. So, Stephen, you can respond yes, to I that. I just totally like. disagree with, with that point. Yeah. By and large, it can't be negated. It can be mitigated for in relative in relative terms, not to any great extent, probably, but mm. you know, it can be mitigated. So but at the same point, no, at the same point, you know, if a if a trans woman beats a cis woman, what's the difference between a cis woman beating a cis woman? The difference is that one of those people is competing unfairly in a category that they don't belong in. Sport is not about identity. Sport is about bodies. Bodies play sport, and your body is either male or female. It cannot be changed. And when you say it can be mitigated or reduced, what you're essentially saying is women should accept some level of unfairness because some males feel like they belong in their category. And what we are saying is actually, no, that's not acceptable. Stephen, if it is acceptable, why is it causing such a problem around the world? If it, if it wasn't a problem, in other words, if everybody thought it was fair... And, you know, trans uh, women weren't winning sports by people who believed they were doing it unfairly. Why do, you think it's, why do you think it has raised its head? Because clearly it's causing a problem. Otherwise, nobody would care. It's causing a handful of problems. It's causing a problem in a handful of cases. It's not a handful of cases. No, the bigger problem is the psychological and social contagion that the media is turning this whole thing into. And the media are becoming a social contagion. The media. So the media. So the, so should the media just stay quiet? So 
and say nothing, no, not get involved I'm in the debate whatsoever. They should be they should be doing what you're doing uh, at this particular moment in time and offering balanced viewpoints and actually offering. Well, I, but I think uh, most do. I think most do. I mean, you you have a viewpoint. You know, Circa has her viewpoint in relation to it. Mm. But I mean, we have to be logical as well. You know, and I and I understand your defence and the defence that you put forward. And you know, if if it was a brave new world and everything was to be the same, well, that would be fine. But it isn't the same. I mean, we we have to accept that people wiser than us decided many many years ago to categorise men and women in sports as male and female sports. I mean, we have to mm. accept that if we look at the records that have been broken throughout the last fifty years, the majority, the vast majority of records for men are faster or bigger or stronger than women because women have different body sizes. We have to accept that mm-hmm. when it comes to swimming, when it do. comes to rowing, when it comes to running, when it comes to weightlifting, when it comes to anything, mm. the records are always higher for men than they are for women. So if you have what is a biological man entering a women's sport, logically minded, you would say to yourself, that doesn't seem right. It just doesn't seem right. It's What's the point? So again, I, I mean, Stephen, have, you, have you got children, Stephen? Male and female competitors that are wanting to compete in the sport of their preferred gender. What do you do for them? You tell them they can't. Okay. And then yeah. if and when, if they decide to take a case against it, uh, to justify the, the like, this is the whole. And thing I hope during that case, can, experts will be brought in. To, experts will be brought in to say we accept yeah, exactly. that you identify as and a different gender, but unfortunately, you have an unfair advantage. But you have, we have to be real. But no, 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 Stephen, Stephen, women have been fighting for rights for the last one hundred and three years to be if they want to go to by the vote. Um, have been fighting for equal rights. You know, they're at a point now, thankfully, in society where women have the same opportunities. I'd like to think so anyway. We're getting there anyway. Uh, equal pay, um, and the same opportunities and hopefully the same opportunity of outcome at some point as well. Right. But realistically, mm. we have to be fair. So women fought for all these rights. And what you just want to say, well, let's just take them away again, because I don't know if you've got kids, but if you've got a daughter and she's aspiring to be the best boxer, the best weightlifter, the best runner, the best swimmer, and then all of a sudden she's going into a competition where there's a person who is a biological male who identifies as a woman, is five inches taller than her, or a lot stronger than her lifting weights or swimming or whatever it happens to be, as a parent, you're going to say, what's the point? What's the point in encouraging them? Do you understand what I'm saying? Well, it happens yes, even I at a much younger, younger age as well, Niall, to be honest. You know, somebody is coming up at 13, 14, 15 and seeing that there's a lack of opportunities in their sport. You know, they may change sport, hopefully, or they may just it's not worth it and they've got better things to be doing where they don't have to feel like a second class citizen in their own sport you know I'll give, I'll give so you like a that, stu- well, girl, I... that 16, 17 year old the other day who lost her opportunity you know what's she going to do in the future and that that's her opportunity gone like you know they're losing scholarships in the states because their their times aren't good enough and um, because they placed lower in a race because it was a male placed higher so it's not just about winning the first place it's even about winning the 69th place it's even about fairness in terms of, you know, rankings and uh, the, it's just the whole Okay, well, the whole but maybe, well, well, circa, maybe answer Stephen's question. And Stephen's question was supposed mm. to be a reasonably fair question. Well, if you don't want, you know, a transgender woman to enter a, a female sport yeah. under the category of woman and they don't want to enter male sports because they don't believe they're a man, they believe they're a woman, what category should they enter? Um. It, to be totally honest, I would think that's that's a question for the male sports uh, and the female sports to answer. The female sports should be accommodating females who who 
present in a vast majority, in a vastly different way, and then so should the male sports or an open category possibly. Um, you know that that is that you have female protected female people who were born female, or an open category. But but women's sports is for women, okay? And and for you for anyone to suggest that we should move over because there are some upset males is absolutely it's not it's not on like it's just not on. You know, yes, fine, people might be upset by this, but their rights, their wants do not override the rights of young girls and older women in sport to have a level playing field. And that's all we're asking for. We're asking for a level playing field here. So we are against doping in sport. We're against, you know, people entering in the wrong weight categories and we we should be firmly... Well, I, I know Stephen mentioned that earlier. Mind you, in a lot of sports, they do have weight categories, for example. I, don't, I know they yeah, don't have yeah, it in yeah, athletics, yeah. but so certainly somebody, in boxing they do. If somebody identified into the wrong weight category, if somebody identified into a Paralympic category, that would be unfair and unjust on the people already in that category. And we've seen the same is the case for female categories. If somebody identifies yeah, actually, it, that's, doesn't belong that's in that category. Actually, that's quite not a bad analogy. Okay, well, that, that's not a bad analogy, Stephen, for example. And I, and I know I spoke to Sharon earlier on there and Chris, and I did read a story during the week where somebody identified as somebody who was disabled. Yeah. Now, they weren't actually disabled. But, I mean, if that was the case, people would start, you know, entering the Paralympics, even though they're not actually disabled in the first place. But just to give you a simple analogy, if I want to, and maybe you might think it's a stupid analogy, going back about seven or eight years ago in media in Ireland, there was a kind of demand for more females in the business. And I understand that. I completely, because it, there was an inequality. So I do understand that. So if, for example, I wanted to better myself and get into RTE or something like that, so why don't I just identify as a woman? Then, they would, then they'd have to give me a job. Because that was the, the point we were at in media was there was a kind of preference towards hiring women. And again, I'm not saying I disagree with it because we needed to balance out media a little bit more. But there was a preference to hire women. So why not Stephen just identify as a woman? That wouldn't be fair, really, would it? No, it wouldn't. But at the same point, you'd be weighed against everybody else based on the merit of your. Uh, I would like ability. to think so. Because I, I know your previous I, I, career. Because you're you're a man up until you acquire a gender recognition search to identify as a woman. So all of your previous history up until we'll say tomorrow when you when you get a gender recognition search, all of your previous history is as a man, and all of your career is still there behind you, and all of that will be weighed and measured against. The other women that but when it comes to sport, uh, you don't. Okay, but as, as a, in a sport, you're saying it shouldn't be. It should be ignored. The fact that you were previously a man. No, it shouldn't. Well, you're, well, you're, well, you're, well, you're telling your, me it should. All of your past history follows you. Yeah, but all I'm saying is that as a trans woman or a trans man competing in sport should be open to you to compete in the gender that you are identifying. Identify. Okay, as. so so should I be able to go on a TV show tomorrow and identify as a woman and I'll go on a TV show tomorrow for, for women called Loose Women? Should I should I be allowed mm. to be on that show if I identify as a woman? Well, Loose Women has a lot of men on the show anyway. No, but, I'm just, um, I'm using an analogy, Stephen. I'm looking yes, at some, of the, know, yeah, some but, of the comments that come in. Stephen, your caller, has a really strange take uh, here on this. I completely agree with Sorka. It's hard enough to keep girls in sports in the first place. And, you know, Stephen, I, Stephen, I want to be fair to your argument. And I want to be fair because you made a good point. Well, then what category are they going to enter? And I understand, you know, there's a, there's a bit of a problem there dealing with that question. But I don't think it's up to Circa. And I don't think it's up to young girls in sport who are trying to achieve to answer that question. I, because they're in a category of women and they want to be in a category of people they can compete with. They don't want to be in a category of somebody that it's impossible to compete with. Not impossible to compete against ah, a man. Stop, stop, come on. 
Come on. Stephen, you're an intelligent well, man. The, the fact that most trans women are not beating the records and are not winning, winning most of the competitions that they're in is evidence of that. If it was, oh, all of them man. would be winning. No, I'm you, still speaking. Okay, well, okay, the okay. Is, the, sorry, I'm still speaking. When there are when when there are when there are races where there are trans women, they are placing higher, or they're they're males in a race against females. There was three to four. They'll, they'll always be placing higher than 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 the women. So they they're competing above their grade. Like they might have been, for example, you know, winning down in the, in the middle middle of the pack as a male, and suddenly they're. You know, you know, getting up in the in the top ten of of a thing, so it is unfair on on the women who are already in that top ten because now suddenly they've got a guy in there who's had to do half the training who can, who can beat them. So, you know, I mean, I mean, I mean, they're not winning. Okay, just, okay, but just, but just finally to both of you, I mean, Stephen and Sarah, evidence to back it up. Okay, Stephen, when I watch women's rugby and I watch men's rugby. And I'm not a sports fan, by the way. I despise all sports. I'm not really into sport, to be honest with you. But when I watch both, and I have watched women and men's rugby, they're very different in the way they play and the way they tackle. Don't get me wrong. The women are brilliant mm. at what they do, and it's become so popular now, and I'm delighted to see how popular it's becoming. But but it is a physical sport. You know, it is a contact sport. And I see women mm. play it very differently to men. Men are much more aggressive in their tackles, uh, generally mm -hmm. speaking, than women. I wouldn't like to see my daughter playing women's rugby and have some six foot three man who's built like a brick you know what house tackling her to the ground. I wouldn't want to see that. I suppose you probably wouldn't want to see anyone tackle your daughter to the ground. Ah, Stephen, come on, just I, no, but can no, you not I'm give just, in I'm slightly just on this? Across an opposite point. No, the I, fact that a, a six foot three man is how old, how tall is your daughter? Biological male, I'm talking about. Yes, sorry. How tall is your daughter? Well, if my daughter would be average height, what's it for a woman? Five foot six, I think she's about five, 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 six. Five, seven or eight, I think it is. But anyway, I don't know. But um, yeah, okay, fine. A six foot, I wouldn't want to be tackled by a six foot three man either or a six foot three woman. You're missing the point of making, aren't yeah. you? I don't know whether you're doing that intentionally. No, but I'm, I'm, I, the point you're making is that you don't want to see somebody competing in a in a situation that is potentially unfair to them because of the other competitors that they're competing against. No, not because of the other competitors, because of the gender of the, because other, of the other competitors. Because the biological sex of the other genders makes it an unfair competition. Because generally speaking, as we've pointed so out an, already, if, if that men are generally men, taller men than bigger race. than women. Men are stronger than women, generally speaking. Men are more aggressive than women, generally speaking. Men are taller than generally women, speaking. generally speaking. Yeah. But if there was a mixed race, you know, is is it unfair for the women to be, be running against men and the men? But there wouldn't be. But because there ever, there never has been. There, there, we don't there's have mixed rugby. Well, that's the, that's the granted the, the times are segregated yes. male and female. Of course they are, because they can't have separate marathons. It would be too much to, logistically impossible to close yeah. down London or Dublin or whatever it is for two days just for separate people. So they they what they do rightly, as you said already, they have times separately for men and women. But anyway, mm. listen. There is actually there are categories. There are there is a category just being introduced around the place uh, called the non-binary category, right? And uh, Mara uh, Yamochi just today outlining who won in the New York Marathon in the non-binary category, and who do you think the top tier winners of that non-binary category are? I mean, I'm assuming they're biological males. Yeah. Yes. Of course. By a mile, and they got they got prize money, they got medals and prize money awarded to them even though they were all beaten by at least and they didn't disparage your poor woman. biological females sorry they didn't disadvantage but your poor biological females because they were competing in a non-binary category 
It did actually because so you're well, 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 now, hang on, Sergeant. With respect, I would kind of agree with Stephen on this one. If you're a biological female and you're entering a non-binary category, well, then you've no one to blame but yourself. Oh no! <laughs> you know what I mean? What I'm saying is, in Stephen, what Stephen was saying was when men and women are racing against each other, that they're essentially equivalent. Well, here is a category that's been just created where males and females race against each other. Okay. And still the females are okay. Okay. Sorry. Okay. I get you. You used it just to so prove the, the point. Times will yeah. show out that it doesn't matter what somebody identifies as, the males will always be faster than females. Listen, guys uh, and ladies, thank you very much indeed. Circa and Stephen, I do appreciate you, Circa from Countess and Stephen, who has been on the show before, just to give the, the topic a level of balance to. Oh, by the way, I'm not bringing him on just to give the topic a level of balance. I just want to give it a level of balance. Um, thank you very much indeed. We'll be back with you on Monday at 12 midday and you never know what you're going to hear. So thank you for joining this special tonight on the Nile Boylan broadcast and Dara podcast. And thank you as well, by the way, to Billboard Chris for joining us and Sharon Keoghan, Senator Sharon Keoghan as well. Uh, we'll talk to you again Monday at 12. Don't forget, by the way, if you want to go to the website, www.nileboylan.com and you can download the whole show, both in audio or video, and you can watch it there again if you want to with your friends or whatever you want to do with it. Uh, and if you want to send us a message or an email at any point, you can. It's nile at nileboylan.com or you can WhatsApp us if you have a suggestion for the show at 085 100 That's 085 100 We'll talk to you again on Monday at 12 o'clock. The multi-award winning Niall Boylan Podcast. Listen live on Facebook, YouTube and all the usual live stream services. To get in touch, just WhatsApp or text 085-100-2255. The Niall Boylan Podcast. They told me to shut up. Available for download from all your usual platforms. 